drink already? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we will learn to praise you from this young girl. Amen. So, I'm really happy to be here with you on a family service because our Advent passage is talking about several generations, a young girl and an older woman. So, thank you for your reading, Lily. Uh, this young girl's song comes at a very important moment in her life and has so much to teach us. I say young girl because Bible scholars tell us that in the first century, do you know what, time, what age young women were engaged to be married? Just after puberty, 12, 13. The first two chapters of Luke are like a musical theatrical production in the way that the story is punctuated by songs, angels speaking, people prophesying, and songs full of poetry. See, I, I can see Jacques Emmanuel smiling, musical production. Mary, Zachariah, Simeon, all have special songs. And Elizabeth prophesies as well. In fact, no other narrative section of the New Testament blends story and song in a way that resembles so much the storytelling techniques of the Old Testament. Have you ever noticed that the songs of a musical comedy carry the themes of the story. Now the themes are the main ideas. So the song freezes the action and concentrates our attention on the theme. I used to skip over these passages to get to the action. But now I understand that poetry slows us down on purpose. It helps us break out of the ruts in our thinking with new combinations. Poetic language concentrates ideas and helps us remember. It helps us interpret the action. This morning, I'd like to look at the first of the songs that Luke brings us, Mary's song, which has come to be known as the Magnificat from the first word in the very ancient Latin translation, meaning magnifies, my soul magnifies. Okay, next slide. How many of you noticed a striking resemblance between Hannah's song, the one we, we recited in response, and Mary's song? Hannah's song is at the beginning of 1 Samuel. This is not a coincidence. For sure, Mary knew Hannah's story and she knew her song. But she doesn't just copy Hannah. She takes the same ideas and she tells them in her own way. 
Mary's song will become the theme of the whole Gospel of Luke. The great and powerful God of history will show mercy to the humble. He will upend the power structures because God loves the humble, the little people. He has come for the despised, the weak, the sick. In a similar way, Hannah's song becomes the theme song for the four, four books of the Kings. One to Samuel, one to Kings. Do you find it interesting that both the Old and the New Testament writers have chosen a woman's song early in their story to put these themes in poetic form? By recording Mary's song at this point in the story, Luke shows us that the themes of his gospel are grounded in Israel's sacred history. In what ways are these two songs similar? Each song emerges from praise. A woman and a girl marveling at God's action in her life. Then each, the woman and the girl, generalizes her experience. Hannah sings her song after the birth of Samuel. The answer to her prayers of many years. For Mary, the exaltation arises not from a birth long desired, but from the promise of a birth, a pregnancy she can't even see yet. Yet, Mary receives the announcement of this unexpected and dangerous pregnancy with the same enthusiasm as Hannah receives her longed-for child. Before looking at the song itself, let us consider the context and especially the timing. Now you remember Gabriel visited the young girl. He promised her that she would become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and she would bear the Son of God. Now that's a big promise. And it's great to be visited by an angel and all and to have great promises. But before she will be able to have any of that, Mary has to go through a tunnel. She has to become an unwed pregnant teenager. And I'm telling you, in those days, it was worse than today. Who will believe her? Before she tastes the realization of this promise, she must risk shame, humiliation, misunderstanding, maybe worse, not only from her society, but from those she cares the most about. What will her parents say? What will Joseph say? What will he do? By embracing God's promise, this girl is risking everything that gives her love and security, except her faith in God. And yet, this song is placed exactly at this point between the promise and the storm she can see on the horizon. Exactly at the point where most of us would be a basket case of anxiety. 
Yet, at the end of his speech, the angel has slipped her a ribbon of hope. He's told Mary that her older relative, Elizabeth, has a miraculous postmenopausal pregnancy. That means she's too old to have babies. After a lifetime of barrenness, so far, nobody else knows, except Zachariah, of course, because Elizabeth has remained in seclusion for five months, matching her husband's silence, holding on to her biggest and best secret ever. So when Mary hears the top secret news of Elizabeth, she takes off with haste. We can also say with zeal. I love her teenage decisiveness. She doesn't waste time. What else can she do with her secret? It's kind of cool, don't you think, that Mary has this special intergenerational friendship with Elizabeth? I think, so no, the, the trip from Nazareth to Judea was 150, maybe more, kilometers. Through, on foot through dangerous hill country. Luke doesn't tell us how Mary got there, but we do see her decisiveness. She really wants to see Elizabeth. She goes, long walk, danger, whatever. Mary seems to know that Elizabeth will understand, will believe her. I imagine she played their meeting in her mind a hundred times before she got there, walking, walking through the hills. But when it actually happens, it's better than anything she could have imagined. The minute Mary enters the house and greets Elizabeth, the older woman feels her own child jump for joy in her womb. Not only she already knows that Mary is pregnant, but she knows that she is the mother of my Lord. Elizabeth warmly receives Mary, affirms her, blesses her with the authority of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what Mary needs. Isn't it beautiful how the Holy Spirit uses this older woman, sidelined for years, to bless this younger woman when she needs it so much. Then Mary sings. The Holy Spirit gives Mary a remarkable ability to focus on God. It's as though as she praises, God brings her up to a mountaintop where she can see in all directions, all the way back to Abraham, generations back, and all the way forward to Emmaus Church. Her vision, she, because she knows, just a minute, she has, that what she has been called upon to live will shake the course of history and future generations, us. We will consider her the most privileged woman ever to walk the earth. Okay, let's look now at Mary's song and how it's structured. 
What can it tell us about how to praise God? Now, Mary's song, like Hannah's song, are psalms of praise. Now, it's very simple. They're very common in the Bible. The black is her declaration of praise, and the blue is why, all the reasons why. Mary praises the great and mighty God using strong, contrasting language. She is the lowly female slave. He is the Lord, the Savior, the Mighty One. Here we can see the psalm is organized in two parts. Part one, Mary sings about the unique and extraordinary thing God has done for her. And part two, she sings about what God has done for her people. In black, we see God's action for Mary and for his people. In red, we see for whom God has acted. And in blue, we have the refrain. The rhythm changes. We speak of God's mercy from generation to generation. I find it very interesting that to see Mary's healthy balance between God, herself, and her people. She deeply cares about how God acts for her people in all history, for those who are humble. That is, know they need God. It's not all about her. As we look at the second part, another element comes into play. The proud and powerful, who are not part of the people of God. You see the humble I've put in blue, the proud in their hearts, the rulers, the rich in red. Whereas in the first section, we had the relationship between Mary and God, in the second section, we have this three-way dynamic going on. We have God, we have the poor, powerless, humble, who are like Mary, and then we have the rich and powerful over here, the proud. This is surprising. Where do the bad guys come into the story of sweet Mary and the baby Jesus? Yet, Luke's story is framed by introductions of cruel, oppressive leaders, Herod the Great, Caesar Augustus, who are always in the background. We can't forget them. The words Luke uses that we take for granted in describing Jesus, Savior, Son of God, Gospel, these words were seditious. Seditious means you could get thrown in jail for saying those words about anybody other than Caesar. So Mary is making a strong political statement when she talks like this. Her song is not pink with little flowers around it. I have nothing against pink, by the way. just in the right place. Mary uses strong verbs to describe God's mighty acts. He has scattered the proud. 
He has brought down princes from their thrones. He has sent away the rich. Okay, this is the climax of her song. And it uses a powerful rhetorical structure. I like those words, rhetorical structure. The rhythm is fast. Each verse contains antithetical parallelism. What does that mean? That means opposites. So look at how many opposites there are here. Brought down rulers from their thrones. So the rulers from their thrones. Lifted up the humble. Humble are usually down, not up. The hungry he has filled with good things. That's more opposite. And the rich he has sent away empty. Oh, I'm sorry, I wanted to have those colors there. So you see, A, B, B, A. This X is called the chiasmic structure, and it is a very strong structure. The doubling, all this, is, shows something that is not temporary or minor. This is something very important. After this, the rhythm slows down and expands to include all of history, showing the importance of this birth in demonstrating God's mercy from generation to generation. All of Luke will describe the way God acts through Jesus to reverse the power structures in many surprising ways. The army of angels, and by the way, that word is army, that fills the night sky with light does not appear to the rich and powerful, but to the lowly shepherds. The leopards praise God. Poor Lazarus and the rich man find their roles completely reversed after death. The king of glory will be oppressed, beaten, crucified, but he will rise again, and he will have the last say. But Luke reminds us that the line between the proud and the humble does not have to be permanent. Even the rich and powerful can humble themselves, like Zacchaeus, who, having encountered Jesus, freely gives away his money and does good rather than harm with his power. How can we be like Mary? How can we praise with such abandon and such faith in the face of risk and unknown? First, Mary knows who she is. Lowly, but loved. Full of his grace. She has been filled with his unmerited goodness. Secondly, Mary knows who God is because she remembers. The whole Old Testament contains stories of God's action 
in his people's history, and not only the historical books, also many Psalms that maybe Mary learned by heart, retell Israel's history so they can remember. That's why we do Sunday school. The book of Acts records sermons where Stephen and Peter remember and retell the acts of God in the history of Israel. So we remember who we are and who God is. The person God chose to form his special covenant with humankind in the Old Testament was an old man. And his wife, an old woman too old to have babies. A strange place to start a people. As Luke continues the story of the people of God crossing over from the old covenant to the new, the first person we encounter who embodies the radical faith of Abraham, curiously, is a young girl, just barely past puberty, ready to risk all she has to embrace God's promises. Another strange choice, don't you think? But in God's style. So, don't think, I'm just a kid. I'm just a teenager. God doesn't need me. God chose a young teenager to play a crucial role in his plan. You may be lowly, but you are loved, and God wants to act powerfully in your life. Like Mary, he wants to fill you with his praise. Are you like Hannah, a person somewhere in the middle who has been mocked and gone through years without achieving her dreams? Are you ready for a surprise God may have in store for you? Are you an invisible older woman? Or any other category you think is not important. Remember that God filled Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit at this crucial moment to encourage and affirm Mary when she needed it. Who might God be calling you to encourage? Whoever we are, Whatever challenging circumstances we are living, if we focus, our praise, focus on praising our mighty and merciful God, our small contribution can be part of something big. May we follow Mary's example of humility, seeing herself as you saw her, lowly but loved, and through your spirit, capable of carrying out an important mission. May we, like Mary, praise you now in the middle of all our unknown. And I especially pray for us in Emmaus Church as we are in this daunting, a little bit scary process of looking for a new rector. May we, like Mary, 
remember the whole witness of scripture and history to his might and mercy of those who went before trusting you. Make us a people of praise, completely happy just to be in your will. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your, your word to us this morning, your word to us via Mary. We thank you, Lord, for her song. May it become our song as well. <clears throat> 